Yeah, we've got Piotr on tonight from Poland, and uh, we've also got uh, Leszek and Jagoda yes. from Lublin, which isn't too far from the border with Ukraine. And then also we have uh, Tadeusz is on yes. from near Katowice. Yes. So there's at least, um, and we have Daniel from Alberta and Calgary. Uh, Calgary, yeah. Yes, Calgary's uh, yeah, Alberta. And of course, those from Canada who come on and some folks that are local <laughs> and um, somewhere in Devon and different parts of the UK. We have Nathan. I noticed that he's come on from Lynchburg. from Lynchburg, and I pray for Nathan because Nathan's getting married uh, <laughs> on the fifth of June um, in Lynchburg, and so that's quite an event. Mm. And some of you know Richard, and Richard is going down to take. At the wedding, which I'm very pleased about, and for Nathan's sake, because Richard will be a kind of father, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, it's not just a ceremony for him, and uh, but he will stand with them. Amen. And we have a police lady on, oh, is that keep him? keeping her eyes on us, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> And we've got different ones on. So it's good. Sorry? Thank you very much. <laughs> Keeping your eye on us, Ellen, that's great. If we have if we have masks. Yes, I think you have. Yes. He is looking if we have masks. Ah. Yes, it's good. So here we are. And it is just a very wonderful thing. I was talking to someone or they were talking to me on the WhatsApp and saying how much they value um, not just the the sessions, they would prefer, they said, to always be on in person than to look at the rerun on um, YouTube or whatever it is because mm-hmm. they find such benefit from simply the fellowship. The just the meeting face to face, sensing one another's hearts, yeah. and the spontaneity of it all. And I do want to carry on, and in a rather strange way uh, tonight. In in some ways, I'm not sure whether I have managed to convey much through these more recent sessions of the generosity and the spontaneity um, and the joy and the gladness of of what it means for the Lord's people to meet. Probably many of you will realise that things have gotten a little bit adrift. Um, You know, in, in these latter years, particularly where the actual meetings, gatherings of the saints um, in the churches have taken a bit of a detour. Um, 
they they one of the detours of course is into the position of the entertainer and the entertained uh, the stage um the exactitude of the arranged meeting down to the minute in some places where Hazel and I have had to preach something that I personally detest and uh, believe to be way off the heart of God. And of course, on the other extreme, you've got the coffee culture um, of church where people sit around with their coffee cups um, and the whole thing is robbed. Uh, and even our little church that we are part of when we can be, uh, the leader's wife said to me two or three weeks ago that she regrets the way they gather in the in the um, gym because everybody can you know comes together. Uh, there's music in the background and people are chatting away and uh, sometimes it's even hard for her husband to begin to get the meeting to go because he has to interrupt uh, what is happening and and she said that she realizes that there is a reverence and uh, missing and that uh, and how to bring these things together another of course detour has been the way that um the the preacher has become the predominant thing or and the music um and uh of course none of this is remotely biblical um everything that i've just described is something that is moving away from, and I suppose in the Corinthian situation, we could say that their meetings, their gatherings had degenerated as well. In a different way, of course, where when they had the communion, for instance, uh, they separated one from the other. There were those that had plenty, that were in a corner and those that had little in another corner. And of course the, the church would have been much, much smaller. And I realize that some of these things that we consider are somewhat objectionable. Some of the things that I've said already tonight in comment, um, to some they're objectionable. Um, another thing, of course, that to me is something that has occurred and others think the same where the ministry tends to have um, fallen into the hands of the persons who've been trained homiletically. I don't know if you're aware that the two preachers of the 20th century that were reckoned to be the greatest expository preachers of the scriptures in the 20th century, neither of them went to a Bible college. 
But of course, in their different ways, they were men of the spirit. Now, that doesn't mean to say you can't be a man of the spirit and have gone through the comparative misery of theological studies. Um, because uh, unfortunately, and that sounds a very nasty thing to say, but I would say that 60% of what I did in theological studies was quite beside the main point of what the ministry is all about. So I spent 60% of my time. I learned that early on and did the utter minimum on those sort of studies. Um, and I did so purposely because I knew that God was calling me into the closet. And I knew he was calling me into the private place. And then I knew he was calling me away. Uh, I would engage sometimes in some of the arguments uh, in my first three months in the college where men my age, because the college I went to would never have dreamt of having a college student to come in, a 19-year-old. The college I was part of expected that everyone who came in had done at least six or ten years of secular work. Um, because, of course, no one can really engage in ministry who hasn't had some full-time who hasn't had some experience of where 99.9% of the population to which they will be ministering live. 99.9% of the population live in the workplace. They live not in some ivory palace. And so we realize, and of course, along with this, so the Corinthian church would have also their meetings would have been measured in a form of spirituality that seems, from what Paul writes, as though it magnified speaking in tongues and the phenomenological. And so everything uh, was magnified in that direction, which is a bit sad to think of, uh, so that this is one of the reasons why when you come into chapter 12 um, and 13 and 14 and into um, chapter 16, which is a strange chapter for me to turn to first, but I want to bring out in the 16th chapter of 1 Corinthians where Paul has led through to and now concerning the collection for the saints. As I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, so already the tradition of the churches was Sunday, first day of the week and when Paul is focusing he's on the first day of the week let each one of you lay something aside storing up that he may prosper 
that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. And um, here is a point of order. And you notice how Paul says about order. Uh, I give order as I have given orders for the churches in Galatia, of Galatia. And then if you go back into chapter 14, you find again the thought of order. So let's look at verse 26. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together? Each of you has a psalm has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation, ad hoc list. He's even missed out mentioning prophecy, which he's been going on about for the whole of the, the rest. Misses it out. He's just saying those Few things, psalm teaching, tongue, revelation, interpretation, five things. He could have said ten things. He's talking about something where everybody has and is bringing. And in what they have, there is a great variety. A great variety. And the Implicit principle is that people come to give, not get, which, of course, is a great difference from the general trends, as I mentioned earlier. Um, who was it? We, we had a young couple with us yesterday for three or four hours and had a lovely time with them and uh apparently the mother was saying that um, to the son that uh, in the college that she attends it is expected and it is accepted that almost every pastor is trained to spend at least 18 hours preparing his Sunday morning 40-minute sermon. And, uh, you know, uh, I find that, of course, I went through all that at college and uh, came out the other end of that. Uh, again, it's something that I laid to one side because I, I, I realized that um, the ministry, the whole intent of the ministry, and mark this clearly, all of us, is to do what Jesus did. Peter says that the Lord Jesus came to bring us to God. Not to educate us in doctrine, but to bring us to God. 
And if the message at the end of the day does not bring you to God and just brings education to your head, it's inadequate. And um, But the thing is that Paul is talking about coming full. Coming, everyone has. And in that hasness, if I can put it that way, there is variety. And there is, along with that, spontaneity. Uh, variety, spontaneity, and all of that because, of course, hearts are full of the Spirit. You know, the logic of truth. I have a word that I would like to bring at some point that, uh, you know, perhaps in, you know, the, the church where we sometimes meet where I, w- I would like to speak a word to fathers. I would like to speak a word to mothers. I would like to speak a word to wives. I would like to speak a word to husbands. I would like to speak a word to children. I would like to speak a word to those who have jobs day by day by day by day. I'd like to speak a word, and if some of you uh, having who are biblically trained or biblically well-read, some of you will know where I am. I'm in two epistles. I'm in the epistle to Ephesians, and I'm in the epistle to Colossians where the Apostle Paul, he writes to husbands, to wives, to fathers, to children, to workers. And he says so few words to them, but the words he says are absolutely the keys because he's in the spirit. And if you know the Ephesians section of scripture where he talks about these things, it's in the end of chapter 5, moving into chapter 6, you will know that before he says anything about those relationships, He begins with, get in the light, everybody. Get out of your darkness and be filled with the Spirit. And that's where he begins there. Get out of the darkness. Come into the light. Be filled with the Spirit. You know the famous scripture. Ephesians 5. And then if you were to switch to the Colossians section of scripture, which is very similar, he says the same kind of thing. Only this time 
he does not begin it all by saying, be filled with the Spirit. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you, have its home in you richly. Now in the churches, they've let the word of psychiatrists dwell richly. They've let the words of psychologists dwell richly. But they haven't let the word of Christ dwell richly. So that if I was just to throw this out to you, um, the key for your lives, husbands, is love your wives. That's all Paul says for husbands. The key to wives, wives can read. And if you don't do that, if you don't have that attitude, your marriage is going to end up a ruin. That, it may stay together. And so I could go on. And um, the reason I mention these sorts of things is because on the one epistle, he says, be filled with the Spirit. Get in the light. Be filled. You cannot stay in the darkness or linger around the edges of the darkness <laughs> and actually be filled with the Spirit. The two are incompatible. And neither can you live in the arrogance of your own minds, end of Colossians chapter 2, in all the stuff that you get into your minds. You cannot live in that and have the word of Christ dwelling in you richly, richly. And, uh, you know, this is so, so important. And family life will not come right unless the word of Christ is dwelling in us richly, unless the wonderful, wonderful spirit of God is filling us. I can immediately tell when someone really is walking in the spirit and ministering in the spirit do you know how because the spirit produces a certain kind of spirit in people and uh, as i said to one or two folk earlier today when Peter is writing to wives and husbands, that's in the third chapter of his first letter. He talks to wives and he says that they should seek to have a quiet and meek spirit or meek and quiet spirit. Now, you must not think men that that's just for wives. <clears throat> that where the Spirit of God is filling, 
a man or a woman, and a man and a woman are walking in the spirit, their spirit will become fragrant with the same sort of quietness, reverence, meekness, humility, so that a mark of a man older in years going on with God and a younger man going on with God is tenderness. He doesn't lose boldness or zeal. The mark of a man going on with God is that his spirit will become increasingly meek, not self-assertive. The opposite to meekness is self-assertiveness. So if you're self-assertive still, and uh, if I may tell a little story at this point, uh, maybe I don't know whether I told this one before, or perhaps I did, I won't tell it. But when someone speaks in a tongue, this is all I'll say, when someone speaks in a tongue, Paul says in the 14th of Corinthians, their spirit is speaking. It's naked spirit. Now, if their spirit is living in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, with God the Spirit, then God the Spirit and God's Spirit will be carrying that man through the pathways of Calvary. The man will become an increasingly broken man, a humbled man, an emptied man, not a self-assertive man, so that when you hear him speak in another tongue, it may be loud, it may be quiet, it may be rapid, it may be slow, but what you're hearing if he's in fellowship with God the Spirit and learning to live there, you will hear the tones of the love of God. You will hear the mercy of God. You will hear, that's what you'll hear. It's unmistakable. If all you hear in someone speaking is the tones of an educated mind. It usually means that that person is still living there in their mind. Um, it's, it's rather bland. It's rather, it doesn't seem to have much depth and quality to it. Um, it's a remarkable thing how our words give us away. They give away our spirit, whether it's tongue speaking or whether it's not. And you say, well, what's this all got to do with, you know, all this spontaneity and variety and coming together on the first day of the week and laying by you in store a, a, a mighty amount of 
you know, as as you have been prospered, as you've been blessed. Mm. Uh, what's it all got to do with giving um, bounty, generosity? That's what the spirit produces. Where the spirit works, he brings generosity. Where the spirit works, he touches the pocketbook, as they say in the USA. He takes control of the wallet, as they might say in the UK. He takes, he takes control. He influences everything. He brings us out of our paucity, out of our smallnesses and our meanness. And he brings us into God's largeness. This is in every dimension of our lives. This is in the realms of church life. And in this, of course, is one of the other things that has tended to go wrong. Uh, I think this has been said to me within the last two or three days. Well, that church is a little bit like the one we came from. All they want you for is the work they can give you to do. Now that's been said to us, said to me, in the last couple of days. You're just a utensil. It's not coming out of the rich spontaneity. You see, when we use the words of, about gifts, that's what we're talking about. And they only remain true gifts when you give them. And of course, it's only in the giving that there is the multiplying, the free giving. And yet, having said this about variety, generosity, all of that, you know, there's order, as I have given order. And so here in 1 Corinthians 14, he he talks about everyone prophesying, for instance. You know, did you notice that? Everyone prophesying. Um, if anyone speaks in a tongue, in verse 27, he says that uh, two or at the most three, he has to bring in a dimension of order, two or at the most three, almost as though Paul has some sort of ideal in his mind that they could go on all night, edifying and encouraging one another. And when he talks about prophecies coming, he says all can prophesy. And as we said the other night, um, that's male and female. But then he says two or at the most three and let there be some discrimination. Let others judge. And that's, that doesn't mean to say let others who are familiar with prophecy judge. It's just let the other people judge. Let there be some thoughtful discrimination 
What are your inner spirits witnessing to in what has been said thus far to or three prophecies? This is rarely seen, by the way. Um, you know, it's, it's sad to say that because very few people know the spontaneity of the spirit and let alone are in gatherings and meetings where such is possible to take place because everything, of course, is mapped out and ordered and so on. And I'm sorry to say this again, but I must say it. You can see the absence in the list of things that are found in these chapters, the the absence of certain things as well, that are overwhelmingly present in the meetings of today. Almost to the point of insistence, we must have these things. That's one of the reasons why I thank God for COVID. In one of the reasons is that it stopped the domineering position of certain people who frequently are among the most unspiritual in the church. Um, who I, I could tell you stories about that. So here we are. We're moving in something. Now, if I was to take you into the second letter of Corinthians, if I could take you there, just to the end of the third chapter, um, where Paul is comparing uh, two kinds of ministry. Uh, he's comparing the ministry of the letter uh, with the ministry of the spirit. He's comparing it in the form of the old covenant and the New Testament. And he says that he himself is a minister of the new covenant, a minister of the spirit. Now, can we, uh, all of us, keep these things in mind? Hitler ministered a spirit. He ministered a spirit. It's important to grasp that. It was not the spirit of God. Hitler's spirit through many years, of course, was a darkened spirit, a cynical spirit. And his spirit became a spirit into which other spirits could find fellowship. Racial spirit. Uh, Germanic spirit, evil spirit of various kinds, and they found a welcome in Hitler's spirit. And mind has its root in spirit, in your human spirit. This is what, of course, the psychologists and psychiatrists hate the use of the word spirit. Instead, they call it, you know, 
you, you know what they call it, don't you? You know the language they use for that, which is, uh, they might use the word subliminal, they might use this, that, and the other word um, that is right down in the deeps. They can't explain the part that's right down there in the deeps. And it's so wonderful when you and I are brought into the light and come into the light, there comes that time where we are born of the Spirit. And when we are truly born of the Spirit, it means that our spirit is made new and so new that God's spirit can live with our spirit. And when that occurs, you know, here I am at the end of 2 Corinthians 3. It says, now, verse 17, the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So I want to bring this. See, I don't want to talk about liberty, spontaneity, generosity, freedom. I don't want to talk about those words without also indicating, but there's order. But there's order. But Paul is saying where the spirit is Lord, there's liberty. Isn't that wonderful? You know, there's liberty. Get the shackles off. You know, there's liberty for your heart. There's liberty for your mind. There's liberty in fellowship with the Lord. There's liberty. Where the Spirit is Lord. It liberates your pocketbook. It liberates your money. It liberates you from being a miser. It liberates you from being in bondage to your retirement package. It liberates you in, because that's where the Spirit brings us. See. Wonderful. And so if I go over into the Acts of the Apostles, I see this working out, don't I? Even as early as Acts chapter 2, when Peter and the others are filled with the Spirit and the fire of God comes on them, and just behold Peter. Uh, in chapter 1 of Acts, you find him still hidebound. We must have someone to make up the 12. Still within the parameters of a kind of legalism in a subtle form. And then you get into the second chapter, and they're all filled. And here they are, all wonderfully filled with the Spirit. And the flow of words that come out of Peter and the eleven. If you and I were just to read it in and sort of realize what a contrast 
this man was free. His friends were right alongside him. The scriptures lived. There was a spontaneity in his message. He didn't go and prepare for 18 hours. He'd been reading. He was a Jew. He had read the scriptures. <coughs> and suddenly, when the spirit came, the words just took flight. And uh, the words took flight in such a way that they didn't merely educate the people, but they, they penetrated right to their consciences. That's what it says, doesn't it? That here it is. He, he speaks so freely to them. And uh, he says to them, when they heard this, this is chapter 2 of Acts. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, I want you to notice what spirit-born ministry leads to. They did not say, Men and brethren, what shall we believe? They said, men and brethren, what shall we do? They were cut to the heart. What shall we do? What you've said to us, it's God speaking to us. We got to change. It was not a Bible school lecture that informed the brain. It was challenge from a loving God through one of his servants right to the heart of the people. God loved the people. And so the word that he gave cut them to the heart. And I would encourage you to do a study in 2 Corinthians, by the way, just a simple study on the word conscience. Because when it talks about cutting to the heart, it's all to do with conscience. Um, you know, please don't disturb me is the condition of heart that many are in. I'm in my comfort zone. I'm 65 years old. Leave me alone, Bernard. Um, you know, <laughs> or leave me alone. You know, let me just settle down. And um, no, the Lord says. And they were cut to the heart. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Not what shall we believe? And uh, what shall we do? Well, Peter says, repent. And doesn't even use the word believe. Repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, of the Holy Spirit. 
for the promise is unto you and unto your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. Everything has got this element of spontaneity, of liberty, of freedom about it. He's just flowing to the people. He's filled with the Spirit. Now, what does it produce? What does it produce? With many other words, verse 40, with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. You know, I obviously know these words very, very well. And as I've been thinking over these recent weeks, you know, the church should be such a happy place. You know, it, of course, it should be a holy place, but holiness without making you joyful. It shouldn't be an arduous place. The Christian life isn't supposed to be a sweat. Coming to meetings isn't supposed to be a sweat, a chore. It's supposed to be a, a, a gathering together in gladness where you're coming. Everyone has because everyone's filled. You know, and of course, you will all well know that one of the standard things that Ava and I have had to listen to again and again in churches of all kinds is when the music leader of the day kicks off the meeting by saying, how are you all feeling? You know, well, who cares what you're feeling like? <laughs> That's the truth of it. Mm. You've got nothing to do with your feelings. Mm -hmm. You see, this is how the church has degenerated. You know, oh, I feel good today. I can lead the music or I can do this, you see. The Christian life is to do with being changed, to being filled mm -hmm. with the spirit and coming filled and coming filled to overflowing and coming giving and that giving flowing in to the financial elements as well as it most certainly did because they were baptized gladly and at that point without doubt they were filled with the spirit and uh, they continued steadfastly famous verse 42 in the apostles doctrine there's doctrine, teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. Must have been marvellous, wasn't it? Meetings that went on for hours, if they could. Result, fear came upon every soul. And many wonders. So they were gladly receiving the word mm -hmm. having been cut to the heart their hearts were dealt with they were filled in their hearts and added 
to the original 120 and they all were continuing steadfastly and they had apostles who had heard Jesus and were able to speak the word doubtless in the same freedom of spirit and it just flowed out of them and they continued in fellowship, you know, and it's, it, you know, they must have been excited to come together and even signs and wonders occurred. God did some things, uh, wonderful things through the apostles. And now all who believed were together. And had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Now, I don't want to make a great thing out of this. I'm just wanting us to see how the liberality, the freedom, the spontaneity, the variety touched everything in their lives mm -hmm. touched their possessions brought them out of that me mine myself into the hour into the sharing mm -hmm. into the fellowship into the giving and uh, I know that there is theory that the Jerusalem got, church got in trouble because they did this and so on. But it was the beginnings that loosed the Jewish control. <laughs> it's quite a big thing for a Jew not to be counting the pennies and um, to be <laughs> letting it all go. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, these things give and it shall be given unto you. Now, all of this, as you can appreciate from what I'm trying to paint, is all of a piece. These are all connections of a piece. You know, where these are all components of a great big whole life into which the Lord wants to bring us all. I do believe. I I can't believe that the Holy Spirit and one of the things that Paul says, so if I take you now, I could go, by the way, through these chapters of Acts and you would find it borne out again and again that as they were filled with the Spirit, the next bunch of people, the 5,000 were added, the Spirit loosed them too. And they went everywhere gossiping the gospel it was all the fruit of the spirit it wasn't the result of being taught sort of how to do this and how to do that i mean we may not like these things partly some of us but you know everything begins with your communion day by day with the lord everything begins with Fellowship with him by the Spirit. Everything springs from there. Jesus said very, very clearly to the woman at the well, mm -hmm. up 
it'll spring. And then he said to the people going through their religious rituals in chapter 7 of John, if any of you really thirst, if you're fed up with your religion, if any of you really thirst, going through your your things, tabernacles, feast, the great day of the feast, the last day. If any of you are really thirsty, come unto me and drink. That's right. And he didn't say it'll spring up. He said it'll flow out. You know, the water, you know, the, it, it, it'll be a river. It'll be a river flowing out. If anyone thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. And out of his, and of course, good old King James, eh? let's be earthy, shall we? Good old King James, out of his belly. Yeah, out of his belly are we like, oh, out of his innermost parts or something like that. Let's, let's say it nicely. No, I lived in the East End of London and people lived out of their bellies and the drunk lives out of his belly and the greedy, lustful man in suits in Wall Street or in London He's living out of his belly. Let's get these things clear. And when push comes to shove, that's where we all live from. And the belly takes over from the mind. And out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. This is authentic Christian life. And when authentic Christian life is in the churches, they will be places where the place is filled and everybody has. And there will be giving and caring and lavishing generously of care one to the other and everything won't be measured. Now I know many of us here on this Zoom, uh, some of us have tasted exactly what I'm talking about and seen it work for 18 months and seen it die. And with a battle, personal, we have persevered ourselves and often alone to make sure nothing would shut us up and nothing would defile the waters and nothing, no cynicism would creep in, no nasty, bitter spirit would come. And there may be some of us that are even on this particular Zoom and you've been through the mill. 
Oh, brother and sister, go to Jesus again and drink afresh the clear streams of loving generosity that flow out of his bowels to you so that you can be washed in your inner man from the bitternesses and all the defilements you know that have gotten in there because you were betrayed or hurt or this that and the other and let's see the dams break it's not possible james tells us that this out of the same fountain can come sweet water and bitter and i'll tell you how to be cleaned i've already told you i'll tell you again Go to Jesus again as a thirsty heart. Oh, Lord, I don't want to be in any way someone out of who's... Haven't you met people like this? Uh, uh, some of us learn these lessons by going wrong ourselves. I remember when I went so wrong at one time in my life, it was only temporary, thank God. But where I was with some people and in a church and I spent time with them and things weren't right in that church and it was very obvious and all the rest of it. I spent time with them until in the end I listened to them receive what they said. I received their complaining spirit and it dirted me and I became the spokesperson for that disenchanted group of people. And I went to the leader and I spoke against him and against what was going on and all the rest of it. And then the Lord had to bring me up with a big jolt later. And I had to return to that leader and had to repent and I had to ask his forgiveness for hurting the work of God, it wasn't my business. You see, I'd let my spirit become dirted. I'd let my spirit become dirted. And uh, there was that which just wasn't right that was dirtying the water. And you have to go back to God, to Jesus, and drink fresh. His water is perpetually clear. His ministry, it might be firm and clear at times, but underneath it all and in the very tones, there's tenderness. He must tell you the truth. He must tell me the truth. He must do it as he will. And you know, it's so important for us to to go to him and drink. And out of your innermost parts, out of your belly, <laughs> shall flow the rivers of living water. He, he will freshen you. He will renew you. He will wash you with his love. He will, you know, it'll be back to that Ephesians 5 scripture where he will wash you. He will wash you. And these are the things you see 
I, I don't know whether I'm making my point very clearly. It's not really my point. I believe it's God's point that he wants to bring the churches back into this sort of life. I'm sure of it. So if I take you back into chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, where Paul just says these rather strange words about the, you know, laying up in store. Uh, can I can I ask you if in your day by day living, you know, you're laying up in store as the Lord is prospering you? Um, you know, in chapter fourteen, there. Um, sorry, chapter sixteen. Um, you know, he's saying. Let each one of you lay something aside. I want you to apply that to gatherings. You know, what have you gathered in the Lord? I'm not, I'm wanting to apply it beyond meetings. <laughs> Make sense? You know that what you gather week by week, day by day, and you come together first day of the week. Strange thing, isn't it? First day of the week. Um, first day of the week has a great tradition, by the way. You know where first day of the week began, don't you? If you, if you go back into, um, uh, where should we go? Leviticus 23. Have, go right back there into Leviticus 23. And here's these lovely, Things that are called feasts. Um, you know, <laughs> their life had this measure of spontaneity about it in the wilderness, didn't it? Just being led, just being led by God's presence. I, you know, sometimes the cloud settled for a few hours. I guess they hardly had a chance to pitch their tent and then the cloud moved again. And then sometimes they were there for months. It was spontaneity in their journeyings. And, uh, you know, they weren't in, in bondage. And, uh, it was, they were free. But at the same time, their year was regulated by order. And these, this was the order. Verse 1 of chapter 23 of Leviticus. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them the feasts of the Lord. Anyone here sat and just spent a couple of hours or longer thinking about the feasts, the feasts of the Lord. You just feast. You know, they burn up. What do you mean? <laughs> what are feasts? They're times of celebration. They're times of extravagance. 
They're times of joy. Uh, they're times of plenty. They're times of holiday. You know, they're times that are just... And here's, you know, the feasts of the Lord. Not, not your feasts, you Israelites. First of all, they're my feasts. You know, always with the Lord. He wants to bring us to where he is, you know, all the time. He came to where we are to bring us to where he is. You know, where are you, Father? Oh, I'm feasting. Where are you, Lord Jesus? Oh, I'm feasting. Father, what are you feasting on? I am feasting on the living bread. I am drinking at the fountain head. Right? That's that. He's the, the father's the first one. He, he's feasting on his son. You see, they're firstly the feasts of the Lord. And he says, you shall proclaim them as holy convocations. These End of verse two are my feasts. Six days shall work be done. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. Ah. Sweet rest. Feast of the Lord. First one. Every week. Keep the feast of the Lord. Now don't, don't get fixed on a particular day, but if you can, order your life a bit. Order your whole household. Have a quieter day. Once a week. If you can, skip breakfast, skip lunch. Just be quiet. If you're at work, go into a quiet place, go into the park, go somewhere. Just have a different day. Have a little bit of a feast of rest in the presence of the Lord. These are the feasts of the Lord. Every week do it. You know that the... The faithful Jew to this day, how they look forward to Friday evening. How they look forward to sunset. How they look forward to lighting the candles. How they look forward to family time. How they look forward to Sabbath meal. Because, you know, Sabbath begins at sunset on the Friday. And lasts right through. How, how they delight to not be thinking about money and the businessman's not thinking about his business and, you know, the feast of the Lord. Tremendous, isn't it? You know, <laughs> every week you see with all the spontaneity of their journeying, all the freedom, all the rich, you know, still. I mean, everything, even in the, as they were walking through the wilderness, there was bounty. 
pick up as much manna as you like. You know, every man according to his eating. You know, as much as you like. As much water as you want to drink. The rock's always there. The rock's always there. And, uh, you know, it goes on. And uh, I don't know if you and I can sense the joy of God because you you get into this first fruit, uh, sorry, this first feast is Sabbath every seventh day. And then let's multiply it periodically. You know, let's let's have um, let's have it every seven years. Let's give the land time off as well. And I'll give you plenty. And then let's let's multiply it even more in the jubilee year. You see, let's let's have three years more or less, one after the other. You know, of uh, Hallelujah. This is our God. You see, it, it's not all sweating your guts out to serve. Mm. Isn't that wonderful? And then. If you have got a Bible open there in chapter 23, you've got this feast, verse 9, I want to just mention to you. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give to you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest and he shall wave it before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf on the day after the Sabbath the priest shall wave it the first fruits that wonderful on what day the day after the Sabbath. What what day is the day after the Sabbath? Sunday. Now you may not realise it, but what was happening in the temple on the day of the resurrection was in fact that people had been bringing the sheaf of their first fruits. And the priest was waving the first fruits before God. I don't think God was particularly looking or very interested because, of course, the true sheaf of the first fruits was rising from the dead and walking in the garden. Jesus, risen from the dead, the sheaf of the first fruits. What day? Sunday, first day of the week. I mean, if we could get that into our hearts <laughs> as we gather, because you know that it's almost that every every day, you know, that every time we meet, if we meet the first day of the week, whether we meet in the morning or the afternoon or the evening is not the main thing. But, oh, there's a waving before the Lord. Uh, have you ever thought of church like this? You know, have you ever thought of it like this? And uh, <clears throat> do you know, 
if you go down a little bit further, you know, there's another feast. I'm just commenting on this. Verse 15. And you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath. From that day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. Seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves. Of two tenths of an ephah, they shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits to the Lord. They are the first fruits. And you shall offer with the bread seven lambs of the first year without blemish, one young bull and two rams. They shall be as the burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offerings and their drink offerings, an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to the Lord. Then you shall sacrifice, and so it goes on. And the priest, verse 20, shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering, holy to the Lord, and so on. And you know, don't you? Of course you know that uh, this was how many days after? And you know, 50 days, Pentecost. The day after the Sabbath, first day of the week for us, that day of Pentecost, when here's here's a tremendous, here's your, Jesus was the first fruits, the wave offering. Now look at all this. There's 3,000 of them, Lord. Uh, am I getting it home to you? I, are you seeing that, the, you know, when we gather in church on a Sunday, you know, where it's almost as though the, the Lord is wanting us to see that we're waving. We're part of the harvest. Be glad and rejoice. <laughs> you know, we're part of the harvest. Tremendous. We're part of what was sown. Sabbath day. Rest. No, uh, it was the day following the Sabbath. It was the result of rest. And they were waving. Fair waved the golden corn. Amen. I always remember a missionary lady, friend of mine, up there in uh, the low hills of Nepal and I stayed in that place for a week with her and the young men who'd gathered round her and God had given her a word of promise which was already being filled, fulfilled that there on the mountain tops the grain would wave it's from a psalm there would be ripe grain on the mountain tops, and she'd believed the Lord and gone up there when there was no Christians, and uh, <coughs> within five or six years, there were a few young men, and I had the privilege of being with that group for a week, 
and uh, I thought to myself, her name was Betty Bailey, mm. and uh, she 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 had the joy of seeing, you know, waving the fruit of the Lord waving before the Lord. This is church. This is church. <laughs> this is church free. This is church liberated. This is church having order, but having liberty. This is church in something of its fullness, my inadequate abilities to describe it. But this is what I see, brothers and sisters. This is what I see. This means, of course, that we may all come on Sunday mornings, really. We're the Lord's harvest. It's not primarily an evangelistic meeting. It's not a place primarily, you know, for education. It's a place where we gather to just wave before the Lord, to encourage one another on to flow in Tongues, interpretations, prophecies, revelations, mm. teachings, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Yes. Meetings should be so wonderful that we don't want to leave them. And where we come away, where we needed to be cut to the heart, we were cut to the heart. Where we needed to be warmed and filled and blessed, that happened to us. And so the Lord Jesus ministered in the midst of his people. Amen. I'm going to stop. Amen. I hope it sounds a rather unusual way. And of course, you will say to me, well, I... I don't know whether I, I've ever seen anything quite like this. Well, I have. I have. I have. And I know that this and there are others that are on who remember such times where people came and they had and the worship rose and the the, the gifts flowed and the healings were present and amen, amen. And the young and the old dwelt together in love and there was care. And um, there we are. You know, if I was to take time, when you have a chance, read a chapter that's always in one of my favourites might be a surprise for you to think of this as one of my favourites. Deuteronomy 26. You read that one. Where when you're brought into the land, wherewith the Father promised he would bring you, bring a basket of all your first fruits and give testimony there. Give testimony there before the priest. Do it on the first day of the week and bring it there. Bring your basket full of all your first fruits and say, I, I was a wandering Syrian. I was lost. I was ruined and God has been faithful. He's brought me into the land. 
And here I am to give thanks. Here I am. Here's my basket. That's how we should come on Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon. We're learning, is that right? (laughs) Who's learning? Are you learning? You know, I mean, every one of us, you know, I'm learning. You know, I had a very good friend. And sometimes I would do meetings with him. And he never encouraged me. You know, it sounds a strange thing to say. Sometimes he would say to me, I remember on one occasion particularly he said, Bernard, too much mind. (laughs) That's what he said to me. He said, keep going, boy. Keep going. Keep going. I'm still keeping going. (laughs) I'm still keeping going. I'm learning. (laughs) You know, into the liberty of the sons of God that has order in it. And yet liberty. Am I making sense? Am I making sense? Here is something to set your prayers on. Here's something to set your heart on, personally, according. Here's something to say, oh Lord, uh, into such an atmosphere there will be gathered those that are sick and they shall be healed. Sick in soul, and they shall be purified, washed, cleansed. Into such an atmosphere shall God move in a liberated way by his spirit. And he shall bring conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment. And he shall bring revelation and understanding And out of the hearts of people will flow rivers of living water. Amen. Thank you, Mark. I don't know where you are. Oh, you're down there. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bernard. We we did uh, lose our internet for a little while there, so we did disappear for a while, but uh, we managed to get back. So, uh, Amen. um, Yeah, bless you. No, that's... uh, Wonderful to to ponder these things. Why don't um, a few just lead us in in prayers of response and yes, let uh, there be a rising in our hearts. Um, just encourage you to uh, unmute yourself and and uh, let's respond together to what the Lord's spoken to us. Yes. wonderful Lord thank you Father Mm. hallelujah Mm. oh Lord you've got so much more for us Lord Mm. so much more so much more 
You're wonderful, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Yes. Mm. You're wonderful. Oh, Father. Oh, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It's true, Lord, that at times we don't know what to say to you because we get glimpses Lord of how generous you are we get glimpses of how for us you are we get a sight and it's it stuns us a bit Lord I know it does me Lord that in the midst of the world that is so grabbing getting and achieving and driven yes you you are such a god of generosity of giving 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 or out of his riches, his infinite riches. Mm. In Jesus, he giveth, giveth, giveth again. Mm. Oh, Lord. Well, mm. Lord, so we are a bit stunned, Lord, but you know that very well. It must have been such a thing for you, Lord Jesus, here on the earth. You must have been so stunned by how mealy-mouthed everyone was. How self-aggrandizement drove people and religiosity. and How wonderful it must have been for you to find a home like that of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, Mm. Lord, and to be with others, Lord, to find a responsive heart in measure in John and those others, Lord, you knew them through and through. Oh, Lord, so you know what it's like for us to get glimpses You didn't have glimpses. You saw so clearly. You saw your father. You knew his love. You knew his heart. You knew he just wanted to give and give and give. Mm -hmm. You knew that he so loved the world. So loved the world. Oh, Lord. And the contrasts for you, Lord Jesus, must have been so amazing. 
to see the contrast with this world in its dust and mire and shame. Help us to live, dear Lord Jesus, live in us, live in us, live in us, shine in us by your spirit. Cohabit with our spirits, change our spirits into thine. Change our thinking into thine. Oh, Lord, live in us. Let fellowship with you so transform us that we be a shining people. Yes, Father. A shining people. Mm. Oh, dear, dear Lord, have mercy on us. Continue with us. We know we're slow learners, Lord. We need to be reminded again and again. Lord, liberate us. Here we are, sat here in our various places, scattered, some of us, toward the twilight of our time here on earth. Soon, some of us, Lord, to move into the brightness of everlasting day. Mm. But Lord... Whether we be in twilight or in midlight, whether we be noontime of our lives here or earlier time, nine o'clock in the morning time or earlier still, will you please, Lord, will you please take us on into yourself, Lord? There's nothing in this world for us, Lord, nothing. It's all in you, life's in you, the church is in you, the future's in you. Take us all on, we give ourselves, Lord. I give myself, my brothers, my brothers here, those who have some responsibility, some preaching and teaching and Lord take us all on every one of us not just those Lord everyone sisters and brothers and oh Lord 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 oh Lord you spoil us for everything else you really do Lord we're glad Father, 